0: Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey
1: has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to
0: the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey.
1: He's a former lieutenant governor of Maryland and former chairman of the Republican National Committee. Currently he hosts hosts his own podcast and is a highly sought after political commentator. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick and my guest today, veteran politician and political expert Michael Steele joins me for an insightful conversation about his life experiences and career journey. Michael, welcome to the journey. Dr. Frederick, it's a real pleasure to take this journey with you, man. It's an honor. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely, so let's start at the very beginning. Uh, I came to Washington, D.C. in 1988 to attend Howard University. And one of the things that I still love about Washington, D.C. is meeting people who are truly from D.C., not not transplanted (laughs) here, not came here by some other journey like I did, but people from here, they they have a uniqueness. So tell me what it was like growing up here in Washington, D.C., and where your journey actually started.
0: Oh, baby, that, that is, I love the way you opened the conversation. <laughs> um, uh, I'm a native Washingtonian, and I uh, grew up in Petworth, uh, right up at Ward 4, right off of Grand Circle, about two blocks off of Grand Circle, went to St. Gabriel's. Catholic Church there in the area. Uh, spent a lot of time at the Petworth Library. I, you know, don't know why. I just like to look at the books. <laughs> but went to Carroll High School, about a mile or so right up the road uh, from me. So my my early um, concentration uh, in the in the city was in that neighborhood. But then, you know, of course, Washington is is just so many unique neighborhoods and so many unique communities. So it was a real great pleasure to kind of get out there and sort of experience uh, the world uh, in miniature, because as you noted, a lot of folks are transplanted to D.C., certainly if they're working on the Hill or in here for some lobbying firm or whatever. But it was it a real good experience growing up in the city and seeing the world right there in your
1: backyard. Now, in terms of your schooling, what was your schooling like at the schools that, that you mentioned? I also went to an all-boy Catholic high school. Right. uh, going up. So I, I know what that was like <laughs> for me, but maybe yes. yeah. you can describe to my audience survived. what that was like.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, I went to St. Gabriel's, um, and, uh, from St. Gabriel's, I then went up the street to Carroll, Archbishop Carroll, which was run by the Augustinians. And the Augustinians founded the school, uh, well, actually they were brought in when Archbishop, um, O'Boyle, um, created the, the high school for boys. And, 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 from there, uh, I didn't go that far. I actually went up, uh, uh, 295 to Baltimore to Johns Hopkins, uh, and did my undergraduate uh, at Johns Hopkins, uh, as a pre-med major. Well, That that didn't last (laughs) long. Uh, I did international relations as a, as an undergrad after my, um, two year experiment at wanting to be a, a surgeon and, um, I then graduated from from there and took a little detour, uh, Mr. President. I wound up going, uh, entering the Augustinian Seminary and, and studied for the priesthood uh, for about three years, two and a half, three years uh, at Villanova and then up in Lawrence, Massachusetts, where I did my novitiate. And left right before I was to take um, my my simple vows is what they are called, but take vows uh, at that time and came back home to Washington, resettled in the neighborhood, uh, and uh, wound up going to Georgetown Law School, and got my law degree there. And uh, next thing I know, you're married, you got kids, and oh,
1: you get elected to office, and that's and that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it's how it's been running. So so, so let's start with you know, graduating from law school and what you embarked upon in between that and deciding to run for elected office.
0: Yeah, so the the law school thing uh, was fun. You know, I did Georgetown at night, uh, which um, meant that I had a day job and I spent a lot of time. uh, I was a paralegal uh, in a prominent D.C. firm um, at the time and really kind of. You know, living life. I, I was recently married uh, when I entered law school, and um, I've been married probably about uh, what? Well, probably about two years or so. So, in 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 two to three years, so still kind of in that newlywed thing. So you got that going on. Then you've got law school, which is a whole other world by itself. And even more so when you're doing it at night because you're working a full time job. You're in class at 5:45 till about 10 or so, and then oh, you gotta go home and do the work, <laughs> and then get up the next day and start it all over. While I was involved in all those things, I was uh, chairman of the county uh, political party here in Prince George's County. I was chairman of the Republican Party here as a county chairman, so I had all of those activities going on. So I had this sort of really weird kind of multifaceted um, existence. Um, uh, that was happening. So the multitasking capabilities were very important, as you can imagine. But I managed to get through, but it was never set with the goal of, oh, gee, I want to run for office. That was never really part of my my plan. Um, I was a practicing, you know, my goal was to be a practicing attorney. And when I graduated law school in 91, um, I, um, you know, set out, started at Cleary, Gottlieb, Steen & Hamilton, doing corporate finance, uh, international finance, um, on a large scale and you know, focused on uh, doing the practice thing. Um, but these other pe- pieces of my life were also still taking shape and form. And so my political activity had um, sort of run a separate course and was speeding up. Now, it was interesting because growing up in D.C., a lot of my politics was oriented as you can well imagine, D.C. being what at at least at that time ten to one Democratic, was oriented by Democratic politics. And even as a Republican, a registered Republican, um, I had the the wonderful experience of learning from individuals like uh, former Marion uh, Mary, uh, former Mayor Marion Barry, God bless him, uh, John Ray, uh, David Clark, God rest him, Joe Yeldell, who was a personal mentor for me. Um, Charlene Ju Jarvis, uh, who was my councilwoman, um, and I got to know her and work with her, um, not just politically, but in business uh, through, my, through my work as a paralegal and as a lawyer. So I really got to see a lot of different sides of politics from the eyes of individuals who didn't come from my tribe, if you will, didn't come from my side of the political fence, which also shaped how I looked at uh, public service, uh, as, as an elected official.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your time as Lieutenant Governor. Maryland, I think is one of the very interesting states in the union, uh, from Western Maryland to the Eastern shore. I I think the demographics, the cities of Baltimore, et cetera. I mean, you have lots going on in Maryland as Lieutenant Governor. What about Maryland? you saw that you think is either understated or probably underappreciated by so many of us?
0: The thing that, for me, that I think people underestimate about this state is it is so much a microcosm of our country, both physically and demographically. Physically, we've got beaches, we've got mountains, we've got uh, farms, we've got, you know, ports cities you know we've got the watermen of the Eastern Shore um, there is such such a a diversity of resources diversity of infrastructure um, but then you layer on top of that the diversity of its people the microcosm of the country uh, northeastern northeasterners who settle here. People forget, Maryland's a southern state. A lot of people (laughs) think, oh, yeah, no, no, baby, we're below the Mason-Dixon line. That's where (laughs) we're the line, right? And so, but we're on the southern side of that. Um, But you've got the southern culture, the northern culture, the western culture. You look at the influence of Maryland on the nation's politics a lot in the early founding of the country a lot of uh, Marylanders migrated, gets to two very, very interesting political places, Chicago and New Orleans. <laughs> you can see to this day the influence of Maryland political life on those cities um, and, and, and how those narratives have played out. The fact that we were, um, the, I think I've got this right, the first capital in the founding in the founding of the nation, as they were looking to form Maryland, served for at least an eighteen-month period as the capital of this fledgling nation. Uh, as they were working things out in Philadelphia, Thomas Jefferson um, served and worked in our in our in our capital in Annapolis. In fact, the office of the lieutenant governor is his former office uh, in in the state capital. So there are all these unique um, uh, places. President George Washington's uh, retired, surrendered his commission in our state capitol in Annapolis. Again, that connection not just to um, the founding of the country, but the broader connection of, of demographics and, and uh, resources. So it's, it's a really diverse place, man. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to raise a family, run a business, um, because you get a little bit of it all.
1: I guess my last question is, one of the concerns I have as a university president is I'm bringing young people here to try to transform their lives. Part of that transformation is that they get uncomfortable, that they sit and talk with someone they otherwise wouldn't. The point being that as you meet people, you learn more about people, you, you broaden your horizons. You don't have to agree, but at least you have to understand. What is your advice for those who are like you, coming into a university, thinking about their future, being itched by politics, wanting to make a difference, but also seeing the partisanship that exists.
0: Well, you put it perfectly uh, as you open the question. Get out of your comfort zone. Uh, You gotta be uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, then you're not learning. If you're not uncomfortable, then you're not listening. If you're not uncomfortable, then you're not speaking with truth. You're you're sort of repeating what you've already heard, um, because when we stay stuck with those who agree with everything that we think and feel and emote, et cetera, um, where where is that? To put it in terms, you appreciate where is that academic experience? Where is that environment where that thought is challenged? And and for me, I've always been in that space. I've had to defend at every turn what I believe, why I believe it. Why you know, I had to go, you know, black folks and explain to them, yeah, I'm still black just because I'm a Republican don't mean I'm not black. and Then I had to go talk to white folks who saw me as a Republican and wanted me to sound and look like them in terms of how I expressed myself. And what I learned very early on in my life is I got to be who I am and I got to be comfortable with that. And I've got to define that very early on. So when I walk in a room, I bring black in the room. Right when I walk in there, because that's what I am first. So that's where that's where the orientation of your lived experience begins, and everything else is layered in that. At the same time, though, you've got to put yourself in situations um, where, yeah, you're going to be a little uncomfortable. For your, for the students at Howard, who are this, this institution is historic, not just because it's old right? It's been around a long time. It's because of who's graduated from it, all right? It's historic because you have someone right now representing Howard, Howard values, Howard principles, and ideals sitting up at the observatory, right, as vice president of the United States, who's in the president's ear. That's historic, all right? But having spent time with Kamala and knowing her personally and knowing her well, she didn't do it by being comfortable. She's not historic because she was comfortable. She was his, She's historic because she has been in spaces where, yeah, it probably wasn't the best, but it was important to be there because she was there to make a mark, lay a word or two, and learn and listen. And so if you don't do anything else, Learn and listen. You, don't, you cannot look at me and think you know anything about me if you haven't listened to what I've said.
1: Well, thanks for being here, and I think that's a, that's a great, as they say, that's a great grace note to end on. I'm not going to make you any more uncomfortable about uh, the vacancy <laughs> that's going to occur in Annapolis uh, anytime soon. But with that in mind, my guest today was Michael Steele, former (laughs) Lieutenant Governor of Maryland and former chairman of the Republican National Committee. I I thank you for sharing uh, bits of your journey with us. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.